Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with this sermon entitled, The Destiny of Every Man, preached on January 28, 1996. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 25. The Son of Man decides the destiny of every man. Westminster Confession of Faith, 33rd chapter, makes this statement about the final judgment. God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. This portion of scripture, Matthew 25, 31 through 36, speaks about the coming of the Son of Man, not in humiliation, but in his glory as king and judge to decide the eternal destiny of all humanity. He spoke about this coming for judgment many times before. Let's turn to the book of the Gospel, Matthew 16. Gospel of Matthew 16, 26 and 27. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's turn to Matthew 13 and beginning with verse 14. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, 
let him hear. Let's turn to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And let me read to you from verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So Jesus spoke about this coming of his in great glory and in great power for the specific purpose of judging every person according to what he has done in his body. First, let's talk about the Son of Man's glory. Verse 31 tells us this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. In a few days after this discourse, you will see him going to the cross as we read in the second verse of the 26th chapter. As you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. The first time he came, born of a woman, there was no place for him in the inn, so they laid him in the manger. He came as a man. He came for the specific purpose of dying as a criminal in behalf of us. He came in great humiliation. He humbled himself, but no more. Christ died and was raised. He ascended into the heavens, seated on the right hand of God the Father, and in the time, when the time comes for his return, he will come, but this time in great glory. And we were given a preview of this glory in the Mount of Transfiguration. The 17th chapter of Matthew verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. In other words, this Jesus who came in humiliation was God clothed in human flesh. But he's coming again in the splendor of his glory. Paul says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, he is coming as God with manifest splendor and manifest glory. Not only that, he has a glorious retinue. Holy angels who sang on the day of his birth will come with him. All the angels of heaven will come. Yes, they sang on his birthday. Now all the angels will come with him as he comes down to church. Their presence will enhance the glory of the Son of Man. Jude makes this statement. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly. In Acts 25 and verse 23 we are told how King Agrippa and his wife Bernice came with great pomp to listen to St. Paul. But no angels were with him. No angel ever came with any king at any time. But all the holy angels will come with Jesus Christ as he comes a second time to judge the destiny of every person. And not only that, this one has a glorious throne. He is called king. Notice verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right. And verse 40 says the same thing. The king will reply. This is the only place where Jesus Christ calls himself king. But notice he will come and will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Throne of his glory, in other words. He will sit on his glorious throne as king, as judge. All judgment is given to the Son. All authority is given to the Son. This is the great white throne. There is dazzling glory everywhere. There is brilliance. There is splendor. There is holiness. There is awesome purity. Secondly, we look at the son's summons. Every person, died and living, will be gathered in his presence. Now this was prophesied long ago. Daniel wrote about it in the 12th chapter of Daniel. And verse 2, we read, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 5. Beginning with verse 27. Father has given the Son authority to judge 
because he is the son of man. Then he said, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Yes, the elect of God will be summoned and be gathered as we read in the 24th chapter of Matthew and verse 31. And we read here, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds. And not only that, the wicked will be summoned and be gathered. And we read about that in the 13th chapter of Matthew 41 and 42nd verse. Yes, this is what St. Paul spoke to the dignified people of Athens. On the Areopagus hill, he made this statement. Acts 17 and verse 31. He says this, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Everyone will be gathered. Jesus Christ, by his power, will gather everyone. No one will have the power to resist this calling of the judge. The dead and the living, the good and the wicked, no one will escape. The arrogant will be there. The kings and generals will be there. The atheists of the world will be there. The idolaters of the world will be there. They'll be gathered before his presence. We are told, Emprostan, before him they all must come. And the wicked will mourn. Look at verse 30 of 24th chapter of Matthew. At that time, the sign of Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Yes. And John says in Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, kings, generals, industrialists, scientists, movie stars, slaves and the poor, the ignorant, everyone from every part of the globe shall come when he calls. And let me tell you, in the 24th chapter, verse 14, Jesus says we must do something to all the peoples of the world. What is it? It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end shall come. And he spoke to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. Yes, that will be the basis of judgment. Pantata ethna, all nations. 
will be there, which includes the nation of Israel. No exception. Everyone must come when this supreme judge summons by his mighty power. Thirdly, this son of man separates. He divides. That's the purpose. Oh, now we can pretend that we are Christians. We can mingle with the real believers. But one day he will come to make that division. That separation. The glorious son of man. The king Jesus will divide humanity into two. He will declare who is good and who is wicked. Like a shepherd divides and separates sheep from goats. During the day the sheep and goats will be together. But in the evening they will be separated. Gods. Gods will be separated from the sheep and put in the shelter. Where it will be warm because goats cannot endure coldness. Oh, these goats are going to be a place where it will be pretty warm, isn't that true? Sheep will be in the field where they can tolerate the cold air. In the same way, Jesus the king will separate his disciples, the sheep, from the unruly, rebellious goats. And we are told about this in Ezekiel 34 and verse 17. Jesus Christ spoke about his sheep. In John chapter 10, he says, he calls his own sheep by name. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Yes, the tail shall be separated from the wheat. Moral relativism shall not prevail that day. The judge will separate the good from the wicked. Secularism shall not prevail. Humanism shall not prevail. The word of God shall prevail. He'll be divided into two, not three. There is no group called a third group. Two, good or bad. It will be clear cut, sheep or goats, based on one's relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Supreme Judge, Jesus Christ. Based on their response to the gospel that was preached to all the nations. And this separation will be wide. There will be a great canyon. There will be a great gulf that separates them. And not only that, this separation is final separation. It is unappealable. Because he is the supreme judge. And it will be infallible separation. It is the king who divides it. No one can get out of hell and come out. No one can get out of heaven and come out. And you read about that in Luke chapter 16. Number four, the sign of the basis of separation. Salvation is by grace. But let me tell you, judgment is always on the basis of works. Liberalism looks at this passage. J. Gershom Machen wrote a book, Christianity and Liberalism, and his thesis is, liberalism is not Christianity. It is an entirely different religion. And that is what is preached in a lot of churches, liberalism. They would say, 
that the basis of divine judgment is whether you did social service. You see, whether you joined other socialist people and gave things to other people. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with whether you are a philanthropist or not. That is utter stupidity. It has nothing to do with social service in that way. Salvation is by grace. But the person who is so saved by grace shall demonstrate the authenticity of that salvation by doing good works. The basis of this judgment, the sign of this judgment is simply this. Simply this. That's why, that's where liberalism fails. Because they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They refuse to acknowledge him as God. But let me tell you, the sign of this separation is simply this. Did you love Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in Jesus Christ, whose gospel was preached by the church throughout the world? That is the basis. Gospel shall be preached to all nations. And so the basis is, did you trust in him? Did you believe in him? Are you saved by him? If so, you will do good works. The greatest sin in the world is not murder or adultery. No such sins are cited in this judgment. The greatest sin in the world, the mother of all sins, is whether you believe in Jesus Christ who will be proclaimed to all the world before this judgment. Praise the Holy Spirit convicts the world in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. That is the most reprehensible and the most heinous sin a person can commit on the face of the earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, he makes this amazing statement. If anyone does not love the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, a curse be on him. And then he says, come, O Lord. If anyone believed in Jesus Christ and so saved, he will demonstrate his faith by acts of love and obedience. The evidence of salvation is good works, which God causes us to will and to do. Without work, faith without works, is the devil's faith. A believer in Christ loves Christ and delights in keeping his commandments. Jesus gave a new commandment. What was it? That you love one another. In Matthew 22, beginning with verse 36, Jesus summarized the entire law. And he said, the first and greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. A true believer loves Christ, and therefore, he loves especially the household of faith. Jesus said in Matthew 10, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. If anyone 
gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple. See, the little ones. Least of my brother, this is disciple. I will tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Religion that Heavenly Father accepts as pure and faultless, same chase, James is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. 1 John 3 and verse 17, Apostle John says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? He is not a Christian, in other words. If the love of God abides in a man, he will demonstrate his life by sharing his materials with those who love God. The wicked who refuse to believe in the gospel will not love Jesus to show love to him by sharing his material things with Christians in need. Good works or lack of them are the sign of this separation. Let me tell you, it is not good feelings. You see, no such feeling is going to be the basis of your acceptance. Not even good thoughts in your head. Not even good words that you may speak. As we read in James chapter 2 and verse 16. If one of you says to the needy Christian brother, Go, I wish you well. <laughs> I feel your pain. Keep warm and well fed. But there's nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? Oh, Isaiah 58, let's turn to it. What we read here is spoken there in the 58th chapter of Isaiah and verse 7. As the sign of true religion and true piety. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn. There it is revealed to us what is true religion all about. If you have been born from above, saved by grace, you will do these things. Oh, not just good feelings, good thoughts, good, we, good deeds, but uh, good words, but action. Deeds alone matter, but not deeds of empire building or some great scientific discovery, but deeds of caring for a Christian needy person in terms of his daily necessities. So notice he says, I was hungry, I was thirsty. I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, but you helped me. I, me, notice, speaking about Jesus Christ. Jesus identifies himself with his people. We are in him. He is our federal head. He is the vine. We are the branches. So our hunger is his hunger. Our sickness is his sickness. So he says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Loving deeds done for the least of my brothers. Not just prominent Christian. 
Remember Jesus said when you give a feast invite the poor, the crippled, the blind. Not Billy Grahams of the world are invited into our homes. Oh no. But caring given to the obscure. The least. The not famous. The orphans, the widows and the like. Least of his brothers. Who are these brothers? The disciples. We are his brothers. He just told us so. Turn with me to chapter 12 of Matthew. 48 and 49. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Or turn with me to the 28th chapter of Matthew and verse 10. There we are told, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Least of my brothers, the needy Christian people particularly. So the judgment is based on works performed because of salvation by grace. This passage is not teaching salvation by good works. That will be contradicting Matthew's gospel because he introduces the King Jesus. His name is Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. We read in Matthew 11, Jesus Christ saying, come under me. All who are tired and weary, heavy laden, meaning sinful, I'll give you rest. It is Jesus who saves us. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, he said, he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So this passage is speaking about good works coming from salvation by grace. Number five, the son speaks benediction. The son is the king. He is the judge. And look at the benediction. Duty, come. Come. He's speaking to the sheep on his right. Come. After his, this division, he says, come. What do you mean this come? Come for communion. Come to be in my presence forever. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And on his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Come to have communion. And then he says, the blessed. That's a perfect passive means. You've been blessed in the past. You are blessed in the present. And you'll be blessed in the future. That's why I tell you it is salvation by grace. God has blessed you. You are a blessed people. Oh, Paul says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Blessed before now. We've been blessed. Blessed with eternal life. Hallelujah. Yes, and then we are told, blessed by my Father. Oh, the Father has great interest in us. When you read Romans 8, we understand that he loved us before the creation of the world and predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son Jesus Christ. 
He has a plan. He had a plan for our salvation from all eternity. Blessed people we are. Blessed by my Father. Salvation is planned by the Father. John 17 verse 6 says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. We are blessed people. And then it says, inherit, not earn your salvation, inherit. Inherit means relationship that God has made you sons and daughters and because you are sons, you are heirs of God, joined heirs with Christ. It is salvation by grace. But inherit now means come into the full possession of it. Now we only have a foretaste of this great pleasure. But then inherit is the time for us to be, to come into the majority that you can have your inheritance in its fullness. Now what is it that we are inheriting? Oh, it is the kingdom of God. Oh, that's wonderful. What is this kingdom? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> That's the kingdom. Kingdom. It's eternal life. It is life in the presence of God that we shall see him face to face. Hallelujah. Yes. And not only that, it says it's prepared. You didn't prepare it. That's why it is salvation by grace. Prepared by whom? By the Father. That means that he had a plan and he worked that plan out. Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross to fulfill this plan. And the Holy Spirit shall be sent to apply into our hearts the fruit of Christ's redemptive work. Prepared, hallelujah. It's prepared like a feast that is prepared. It takes a lot of thought, a lot of plan, a lot of activity, a lot of work. Father has done it. Son has done it. The Holy Spirit has done it. Yes, and then it says it's for you, not for everybody else. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Yes, for you, only you, the sheep, the disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we are told from or before the foundation of the world. Which means, let me tell you, from all eternity. From all eternity. That means we are elect of God. Ephesians 1, 4, Paul says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before he ever created the whole universe, God chose us. God blessed us in Christ. And go home and read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. It says the same thing. And not only that, these people were called righteous in two places, 37 and verse 46. They are the righteous. How did they become righteous? By doing good works. No! They've been saved by grace. They've been justified by God the Father on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Christ. And as a result of that, they are able to do good works. These are the righteous. 
let me tell you, they are surprised. They ask the question, when did we do this? <laughs> let me tell you, a good tree produces good fruit. That's its nature. So, so, so they are surprised. But they just lived Christian life every day. It's nothing unusual. Taking care of the poor and the widows. Or sharing your material things out of love for Christ. It's just natural. They were surprised. And they had to be told in as much as you have done to one of the least of these, my brother, you have done it out of me. Oh, they did not keep score of their good works. They just lived the good life which God has given them. Now, number six, the son speaks malediction. Oh, how terrible this is. Your mother will be told this. Your uncle will be told this. Your son will be told this. Your daughter will be told this if they are not lovers of Jesus Christ. This is extremely serious, brothers and sisters. Notice, instead of come, the opposite word is spoken, go away from me, from all that is good, from all that is blessing, from all that is light, from all that is pleasurable, from all that is joyful, from all that is peaceful, away, away from me. And then look at the word cursed. Instead of blessed, notice cursed. To be cursed is simply to be cut off forever from the presence of God. I read to you from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, if anyone does not love Jesus Christ, a curse be upon that person. What he means is they will be cut off from the presence of God. And when you read Genesis chapter 3, 14, a curse was pronounced upon the serpent. Oh, that's a terrible word. To be cut off from anything and everything that is good. From all grace. And not only that, look at the word prepared. And into the eternal fire. Away from God. Away from blessing. Into something. Into the sphere. Called eternal fire. Punishment, verse 46 says. Daniel said shame and contempt. And not only that, it is prepared also. Prepared by God the Father. Prepared for whom? For the devil and his angels. Actually, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels, not for human beings. But human beings on their own chose to become sons of the devil. Jesus said in John 8, 44, Your father is the devil prepared. And this means it is your responsibility. You are going there. It was prepared for the devil and for his fallen angels. And now what is the basis of this? Let me tell you the basis is you did not love Jesus Christ when the gospel was preached. You walked away from that gospel. You hated that gospel. You hated Jesus Christ. That's the reason so notice they call Kurye Lord. You see, every, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that true? To the glory of God the Father. 
So these wicked people opened their mouth and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And now Jesus says, inasmuch as you did not do this to these least of my brethren, means you did not love me. That is the reason you did not believe in me. Oh, that is serious. See, they were bad tree, continually producing bad fruit. Number seven, pay attention to this. The Son of Man himself was cursed. Soon he will go to the cross in behalf of those who were cursed and be judged. Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 31. He speaks about this judgment. And he says this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out when he dies on the cross. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking about his crucifixion and resurrection, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. St. Paul understands this. He understands that all of us are cursed. We come from the mother's womb cursed. All who are descendants of Adam are cursed because we have transgressed the law and the law curses those who transgress it. But Paul says in Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. On the cross he did it. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And then he says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. That's wonderful. All are cursed. As I said the other day from Psalm 14, all are atheists. And how can be blessed? How can be theists who will worship and adore God? Oh, that's where the cross comes. Jesus Christ took our curse and he was judged on the cross in behalf of us. Hallelujah. And that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Oh, he said he came to be, not to be ministered unto, but he came to minister. Hallelujah. He came to minister. That's what he did on the cross. He was ministering to us. Taking away the curse once for all. He ministered to us on the cross. His name is Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And he calls you now. Now he says what? Come, come. But one day he will say something different. Exactly opposite of this. But now, praise God, he is saying, the church is saying, come. It is he who first said, come unto me. And the church is now saying, come unto Jesus Christ. He'll give you rest of salvation, rest of forgiveness, rest of glory, rest of benediction and blessing. Come. And St. John in the last chapter of 
the Bible, he says this, the spirit and the pride say, come. Holy Spirit is saying, come. The church of Jesus Christ is saying, come. Let him who hears say, come. In other words, every believer must say the same thing now. Come, come, come. Everything is ready. Come, come to Jesus Christ. Whosoever is thirsty, come. Whoever wishes, come. Take the free gift of water of life. Who is this? Jesus Christ. He is the living water. He is the living bread. He is the wine. Hallelujah. Come, he says. But if you do not, one day, this glorious Son of Man, this glorious King, he will sit on his throne as unappealable judge. And he will sit in all his glory and power and authority and will say to you, depart from me into eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Think about this. I was reading uh, Dr. Lewis Johnson Jr. and he says this in his treatment of this passage. He cites a story from George Whitfield. There is a story of George Whitfield's preaching that is appropriate at this point. He often seemed to read the minds of his audience. That's what the writer thinks. But I say he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Once he was preaching on the text and the door was shut. Two foolish young men at a considerable distance from Mr. Whitfield in the large crowd lightly commented to themselves, well, what if the door be shut? Another will open. Whitfield had not gone far when he said, it is possible there may be some careless trifling person here today who may ward off the force of this impressive subject by lightly thinking, what matter if the door is shut, another will open. The two young men were paralyzed and looked at each other. Whitfield went on, yes, another door will open. And I will tell you what door it will be. It will be the door of the bottomless pit, the door of hell, the door which hides from the eyes of the angels the horrors of damnation. You see, we've been brought up in modern times. We've been brought up to laugh at the Word of God. There was a time when people looked upon the Bible as the very word of God. Now we are sophisticates. Now we are into liberalism. We think this is a joke. But one day, the Son of Man will sit and summon, and all will come. May God's Son speak words of benediction to you, that is my prayer. Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Help us, O oh Lord, to tremble 
before the gospel. Help us, O oh God, to humble ourselves. Help us, O oh God, to acknowledge that we are sinners. We are damned. We are cursed. We are atheists. That we may trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, who was cursed upon the cross on our behalf, who took our wrath away from us by drinking the cup of wrath to its very dregs. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us grace. Thank you for regenerating us, enlightening our hearts. Thank you for causing us to see the beauty of holiness of your Son. Hallelujah. Thank you for enabling us to repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.